Hi, welcome to the 2018 men's meeting. Um, I've had the privilege to serve this year as the male co-chair for the conference. And um, as part of that, I get to choose some speakers who really inspire me um, to speak at the men's meeting. So we're gonna hear from um, three speakers who I very much appreciate today, um, who will be sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And um, I guess we can, let's start with the serenity prayer. <laughs> God. Thank you. So first we'll hear from um, my dear friend Raul. So please welcome Raul to the stage. Hey everybody, my name is Raul, I'm an alcoholic. Really grateful to be here. Um, I thought it was gonna just be like one of those like tables on the ground level with like maybe like a couple people here. So um, I'm really uh, happy that everyone's here and I'm really thankful and grateful that I got to um, work with the committee and general planning this year, um, helping to choose the speakers. Um, so uh, I guess uh, um, um, I wanna start off with a prayer. It goes like this, uh, Lord, uh, help me to set aside everything I think I know about uh, everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about my own recovery for a new experience in you, Lord, a new experience in myself, a new experience in my fellows, and a much-needed new experience in my own recovery. Amen. Uh, so... Uh, my sobriety date is November 10th, 2017. Um, I just had nine months. Um, thanks. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess um, this isn't my first time uh, getting sober. Um, and my journey in recovery has been a, um, it's been a, it's been a, growing experience, um, to say the least. Uh, it's, it hasn't been easy. Um, sobriety is really hard. Um, it, and it's, uh, I guess it's what you make of it. And um, for the most part, it's been really, really good. And my life is better than I could have ever imagined uh, before. Um, I, uh, I don't know, I, I really like the big book. Anybody else like the big book? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> uh, and you can't go wrong with that, with reading out of the book for a share. So um, there's so many things in here that I wanted to like talk about. But um, you know, one of the things that um, this time when I came back um, on page 30, uh, chapter three, more about alcoholism. On the second paragraph, it talks about um, this. This I don't know. It's some, I don't know. I don't remember when this like really jumped out at me. But in the last like couple, like first six months or so, like I really got into the big book and went to big book meetings and um, you know as you know, it was written a long time ago, but it really, like, it's really, like, the truth. I don't know. I feel it. Um, and this part, the second paragraph, it says, We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. And, you know, I know that the first step is, um, you know, we admitted we were powerless and, um, you know, our lives had become unmanageable. Um, but I don't think I ever really, like, 
I don't know this part I never saw it or you know I, you know I guess I wasn't ready to hear it or you know my my mind wasn't open to it and um, what this means what this what this what these words mean to me is that like in my heart like I know that I'm a real alcoholic like don't confuse me with somebody who might be just a little alcoholic or might just oh I'm just checking it out like you know when I drink it changes who I am and um, the person that's up here today is not who I would be if I had alcohol in my system or any drug. It just changes me. Um, and uh, I, I've learned, and that's, I've just learned that from being in this, these rooms with you guys and the people that have been here before, you know, Alex, Wade, like, you know, Mike, people that, have, you know, just people that have been there and talked to me and like, whether I, I've known you a long time or I just met you and like our conversations have like, we you know, can't do it, can't do this alone. Um, I like acronyms. Um, you know, before I got to AA, I was sick, you know, and spiritually ill can kill. You know, I, I was dying of, of a disease that I didn't even know I had, you know. I just knew that, like, drinking was a part of my culture. You know, I'm Mexican, and, you know, I think last night Carlos talked about, like, food and dancing and alcohol. It's like, it's part of our culture, you know. Um, and I was, you know, I didn't even know what alcoholism or addiction was, you know, until I got here. And you guys told me, like, you know, this is what it is. Like, alcohol affects my, my, my thinking, you know. Uh, I, I don't process alcohol and drugs the way other people probably can. Um, and, and I know that today, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, so, I don't know, I guess... I don't know, um, I just kind of like started talking, so I'm just kind of like gonna flow with it. Um, I'm 33 years old, uh, I grew up here in San Francisco. Um, I, uh, <laughs> it's funny, I always say this. Uh, I'm not really proud of it, but um, I, this was the first big book that I ever uh, had, and I got it at um, Robbie Martin's One Year Watch, and uh, I actually have all these like signatures on here that's like, people that signed this book for me. And, you know, some of these people are still here, like Teresa and uh, Ronnie Girl that signed it. It's pretty cool to have that. Um, but what I'm not proud of is all these dates that are scratched out on the first page. And uh, the current one is, is on there, and um, I hope that, that that stays as my uh, sobriety date. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just really grateful to be at this conference, and thank you, Michael, so much for asking me to come up here and um, talk to you guys today. Um, there, uh, uh, how much time do I have? Okay, cool. Um, so, let's see. Um, yeah, I guess the main thing is, is like, um, yeah, about like that I know that I can't put alcohol in my system because it changes who I am. I guess that's the main thing is that I know that it's um, an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, you know? it's. Um, it's pretty, pretty what it comes down to. Um, it's just really wanting, really wanting to be sober. And I guess, you know, for, experimenta for experimental purposes or whatever, I just, you know, had a uh, case of the fuckets, as just, we, some of us call it. Um, I just had to, like, go out and uh, use some more and drink some more. Um, but I know where that uh, takes me. And, um, you know, this last time before I came into the rooms, I was... Um, I didn't have keys to my own place, we'll just say that. Um, and I was uh, couch surfing and um, 
I had already been in the rooms, you know, uh, and it was a really sad, sad time. Um, and I never want to go back to that again. Um, and I keep that sort of in the forefront of my mind because, you know, that's where my disease takes me. And um, if it wasn't for people in this program um, who reached out to me and, um, you know, the hand of AA was there uh, when I was ready. Uh, you know, people invited me to meetings and people that reached out to me. Um, you know, those are those are angels that I feel like, you know, somebody was looking over me over my shoulder. And, um, you know, I could have died out there because that's what it comes down to is that like, you know, jails, institutions or death, you know, it's like I could have been locked up for some of the criminal activity that probably had, uh, was involved in or in a mental institution. Um, or, de or dead, you know, and uh, that's what it comes down to. Uh, I guess what's coming up for me today is um, I've, uh, you know, my, my life is really good. I, I live in the Castro, like, I live close to all the meetings that I like. Um, like, I, I have a car, I have a license, I have insurance, I have registration, like, you know, I have a job that I work, like, probably like, I mean, a lot of hours, um, and I really like it. Um, I just recently got my license to uh, do something that I've, I, you know, really like doing and I'm passionate about and I get to help people and I'm really excited about it, but something from my past is coming up, uh, coming back to haunt me sort of, but um, I'm taking responsibility for my actions and I'm owning it and I did it, you know, it's something that happened 14 years ago, but I did it. So taking responsibility for that and, and showing, um, uh, I guess, I guess the bureau that the people who are are calling my character into question that, you know, like I don't live my life that way anymore today, and um, you know I'm trying to. I don't do it perfectly. I don't know anybody who does, but you know, just trying to like practice these principles every day in uh, in my life, and um, you know, um, you know, uh, personal relationships. Uh, you know, I'm, I got dumped a few months back, probably like more than about six months or more, and I'm still, I still think about the guy all the time. He doesn't want to talk to me, but, you know, I got to accept it, and I can't believe I just said that in public, but maybe it'll take the power out of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I just was feeling really raw earlier. I went to a four-step workshop with, um, earlier today, and, um, yeah, you know, it's just like, it's just peeling, peeling back the onion and just more stuff. It's like, I didn't know that I was going to feel that way in that workshop. And it's just like, it's like, wow, I just got really emotional. And, um, and I guess that was sort of everything that's happening now. And I think I try and like, just push it down. Like, it's not really like, oh, it's, I'm fine. Like, oh, hey girl, oh yeah, it's good, you know? But inside I'm really like, okay, like, this is serious. Like, what's really going on, Raul? Like, okay, self, like, you know? And then like, and then I just move through it, you know, and, and it's really great that I have people that um, around me that uh, love and support me and listen to me. And um, sometimes I just need someone to like listen, you know, it's like I don't need advice. I just just need somebody to like listen. And, um, and that's helpful. If you, if you just need to talk to somebody, if you need to talk to me, and you don't want advice to say, I just need someone to listen and, you know, um, we'll have coffee or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, I hope I said something that resonated with you. Um, and uh, I have, you know, I was going back to the acronyms. Uh, you know, I really like those. Uh, I'm going to wrap up with uh, one of my favorite acronyms that uh, if I can, uh, 
It's a, it's an acronym for uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Let's see if I can do this. <laughs> Where is it? Hold, please. Well, I uh, <laughs> I must have dropped it, but uh, let's see. Alcoholics Anonymous, A-L-C-O-H-O-L-I-C-S, Anonymous, A-N-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S, a life centered on helping others lives in complete sobriety. Actions, not our names, yield maintenance of unity and service. Thank you. My name's Raul, and I'm an alcoholic. Thanks, Raul. Um, by the way, all the speakers that I chose today um, do service with the conference, um, and I just really respect um, anybody who does service in any capacity, whether it's at a conference or a meeting level. Sometimes it's just talking to people, being there when somebody calls, being at a meeting, all those kinds of things. But um, I really relate to people who um, do service at the conference just because it's um, it's a really great way to give back, and um, it's a really it's been a really great way for me to um, feel included. So, Raul is our um, speaker co-chair this year who chose the speakers. Um, so, if you don't like them, you can talk to him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then um, next, uh, we're going to hear from um, Scott Q. So, come on up. Hello, everyone. My name's Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, so I apologize. If I'm talking too fast, let me know. I'm on my second um, triple skinny vanilla latte, extra hot. So just because I'm sober doesn't mean it can't be extra. But uh, no, I really am grateful, Michael, for the opportunity to uh, share today. And uh, for those of you that have seen me share before, it's a 50-50 chance that I'm going to just get through it fine or I might get emotional. So if I do, it's going to be like 20% emotion, 80% pure exhaustion. But uh, we're going to get through this together. So anyway, uh, so just some qualifiers. Uh, my sobriety date is April 29, 2017. So um, I'm about 16, a little over 16 months now. Um, thank you. So yeah, this is my second year serving on the general planning committee for Living Sober. So it's a pretty incredible the difference that a year can make. So last year at this time when I was serving, I was still under a year, and um, you know it's uh, yeah it's pretty incredible the difference a year can make. So um, what's also incredible is I was kind of sitting here and kind of mentally preparing myself to get up here. Um, it is a little intimidating being up on stage with a microphone and everything. But uh, it's not my first time doing this. I, For work, I uh, do a lot of public speaking, and I've been in rooms as big as 500 plus people. And um, the difference between, I guess, right now and some of those meetings is I didn't have to have several drinks before going up. Um, I have, uh, in fact, next to my desk uh, at home, I have a picture of me. Uh, I was hosting a workshop, and I had um, about 50 people there who had paid a lot of money to be there for this um, eight-hour seminar that I was uh, conducting. And uh, a group took like a selfie with me, and 
I look back at the picture and I have like big bags under my eyes, my face is like all red and swollen and it's clear just looking at the picture that I'm like drunk and this is a work event and I'm up there for eight hours facilitating. So <laughs> like rock star, right? <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I'm sober today, which is great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, and that was the kind of drinker I was. I won't go into like my whole entire history, but my first drink ever was sharing an entire bottle of vodka with a friend with no chasers or no mixers. Um, I grew up Mormon, so I didn't really see drinking when I was growing up, so that's just what I thought that drinking was. It was just drinking as much as you could to get as drunk as you could as quickly as you could. And that's pretty much the pattern that I followed uh, for the rest of my drinking career. And obviously, it got me in quite a bit of trouble, or else I wouldn't be here today. Um, but uh, yeah, so what I kind of wanted to focus on and uh, speak a little bit about was what's actually keeping me sober and what kind of were some of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that prevented me, I guess, from getting sober because I first stepped into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous December 8th of 2015. And as I told you, my sobriety date is uh, April 29th of 2017. So there was quite a period of time where it was a real struggle. And I don't even necessarily like to call them relapses because when it's happening as frequently as they were happening um, and I wasn't being honest about them, I, you know, it's hard to really call them a relapse when it was just, I was pretty much drinking during that entire time. <laughs> It wasn't necessarily a daily thing. It might have just been, you know, I could get away with a couple weeks or maybe I think the longest I truly actually went was maybe close to a month. But outside of that, um, in that two-year yeah, two period, I never really got like over a month. But um, I have chips at home that say otherwise. So I still keep those in a little baggie. They're my chips of shame. So I can remember just how terrible. There's no worse feeling than... Um, going up and getting a, like a five month chip and knowing that you had just had a drink like the night before. So um, yeah, I've done a lot of things that I'm not super proud of, but um, so yeah, like I said, my, um, my lowest to low was, uh, it was bad. I was drinking in the morning. Um, I travel a lot for work, so I couldn't even get on an airplane without having a drink. I would drink, uh, you know, before and during work. And uh, for me, I was able to all kind of justify that for whatever reason, as we all did with our drinking. Um, and so really the desperation came when I tried to stop cold turkey and uh, ended up in the ER from withdrawals. And that was kind of my, I say my first sign. It was really kind of that aha moment of like, wow, not only do I have a drinking problem, but I have a like problem stopping drinking. And so um, the, the journey once I started AA was, it was difficult for me. And um, so the first thing that started to help me to get sober was going to meetings. And I don't know what it was, I still remember, I don't remember all the details, but I remember that first meeting, it was the Monday night Eureka Valley topic meeting in the Castro. And um, I remember that I was determined not to show up to that meeting drunk, so I hadn't had a drink all day. Um, and I was super shaky. I couldn't really concentrate. I'm sure I looked an absolute mess. Um, and all I remember from that meeting was walking away, or as I was sitting there, hearing people talk about desperation the way that I felt it. And um, talking about 
drinking patterns and behaviors that were things that I did as well. And I thought that was kind of my own deep, dark, dirty little secret. But other people were experiencing this too. And so that was my first sign, because I had tried many other different non-12-step programs, and none of them worked. And I tried you know, all of my methods of trying to do it by myself, and those didn't work. And so when I first stepped into that meeting, it was kind of the first little glimmer of hope that like there is a possibility. Um, and I remember when I was standing and we were all holding hands in the circle doing the serenity prayer. Um, I remember it was Daryl. I don't know his last initial, but many of you know Daryl here in the community. He was holding my hand, and um, he was like, oh, my gosh, you're shaking, <laughs> like, really bad. But he told me, he's like, you know, just keep coming back, and it will get so much better. <laughs> and, um, and it did. It took a while, but um, it did. And so meetings have been a huge foundation. Um, I try to go to as many meetings as I can. I try to go to one a day. Um, I still travel a lot for work, so that puts a lot of roadblocks. Um, but even when I travel, I've found a lot of joy now in finding meetings outside of San Francisco. Um, you know, it's interesting. Everyone does their meetings a little bit differently, but. Um, you know, like in the South, they end with the Lord's Prayer, which I still don't know, so I just kind of sit there and <laughs> smile while they all say it. Um, but, you know, so everyone does their own little thing, but at the end of the day, the message is still the same. And um, I've never been to a meeting in any city where I don't feel welcome or where someone, at least one person, if not multiple, are coming up to me afterwards to ask, you know, where I'm from, how I'm doing, if they want to go out to coffee or whatnot. So, um, you know, I don't see him in there. Derek uh, Jay, who designed our logo here, he always says meeting makers make it, and it's true. Um, so meetings have been a huge foundation for me. Um, the other thing um, that's been really helpful for me is obviously outside of the meetings, the work that I do with my sponsor. <laughs> loving this, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the reason why I get emotional when I talk about my sponsor is because, um, you know, this morning I was in a workshop that was sponsorship Q&A, and uh, some of the things that we talked about in there was that to have a successful relationship with your sponsor, um, you have to have honesty and willingness. And those were two things that I had kind of a front and I faked that I had that I didn't necessarily have. Um, There's a lot of work that I wasn't willing to do. I wanted to still do it my way, and I thought that, you know, it could be Scott's version of AA, and obviously that didn't really work, um, didn't work at all. And um, there was a lot of honesty issues. Obviously, you know, I'm going up and getting chips that I didn't deserve. I'm telling my sponsor that I'm doing work that I wasn't doing, and it was really tough. Um, and. I was really nervous to have that conversation when I was ready to come clean because it just gone to a point where I was desperate and I was realizing that, you know, AA is not going to work for me if I don't work for it. And so um, <laughs> I still remember that conversation that I had. We were at the Illy Cafe. It was like the first time that we'd ever gone there and we were able to get that window seat that everyone tries to get. And it was the worst because I'm sitting there sobbing. <laughs> 
he has his back to the street. I'm facing, so everyone's walking by, and I'm looking like a total crazy person. But, uh, <laughs> story of my life. But, um, but, you know, what I was most nervous about was that he was going to say, I can't work with you anymore. And um, that wasn't the case. He listened to what I had to say. And um, he said, all right, what are we going to do? And um, he set ground rules. And he said, you know, if we're going to keep working together, this is what I need you to do. And um, he said, you know, I don't trust you right now, but we can build that trust. And um, I hope I think I did, because he's still working with me today. Um, but uh, yeah, and so. You know, for someone to invest that much time and then to, I wouldn't say it's wasted because it wasn't. There was a lot of good work that happened before, but to be able to reset and to give a second chance. You know, that's what this program's all about. So. Sponsorship. <laughs> uh, I am on my 12th step right now, and so I'm open to sponsorship. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that next step in my uh, sober journey is to starting to sponsor other people. But um, the, uh, the next uh, thing that really has helped me keep sober, and Michael kind of mentioned this in his uh, introductions of us, but is service. Um, it's been really important for me to try to have as many service commitments as I can. Um, so I have my weekend meetings that I go to regularly. Again, my weekdays, I'm a lot of times traveling, so I can't have commitments at those. But um, right now I have a commitment at all of my weekend meetings. I've been working on the Living Sober Committee uh, for two years now, which is a commitment, <laughs> to say the least. But. Um, and I'm saying these things not to brag that like, look at me, I'm the saint that does all the service work, but honestly, it's what keeps me sober. Um, my work is a big part of my life, but outside of that, service is what I put a lot of my time and energy into because if I'm occupied doing that, and um, if I can humble myself to do things for other people, because um, I'll tell you, working on this Living Sober Committee, for one, it's been a really humbling experience because it's easy for me. I used to be a conference manager, so that's why you see me running around the hotel pretending like I'm running this, but I'm really not. I'm just, the faster you walk around and the busier you feel, like the more important people think you are. So, <laughs> just a tip. But, uh, <laughs> But, uh, but no, it's, um, it's a humbling experience because, um, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've kind of had to be self-checked and reminded that, like, this isn't my show. Um, the objective isn't mine. It's a, it's a group effort, and it's been really incredible to work and see the talent and the passion and the dedication that all of these men and women have put into making this conference happen. So um, the final one that I'll just say uh, that's really helped keep me sober is fellowship. So um, service has been a big part of you know, why I like working on this conference. But the other part is the friendships that I've made. Uh, you know, it's been really fun going to all the fundraisers, um, even just not related to the conference, but um, 
you know, after meetings, going out for coffee with people, um, on the weekends, hanging out and doing sober activities. Um, it's totally been a life changer. Um, you know, before I always had a group of friends, but our activity was limited to the bar. And if we suggested anything outside of that, it either got canceled or, you know, it just never really happened because that's not what those friends were interested in. Um, and that's not to say that they're not good people, but it's just that was the dynamic of our friendship. Um, when, you know, I see people and I get a genuine hug or someone genuinely asks me how I'm doing, it's not just the general, like, I've got to say something, hi, how are you? But when they're generally asking how you're doing, I mean, it makes a big difference. And um, when I'm traveling on the road, I get um, random text messages, and that's where I feel like my higher power is intervening, <laughs> is when I get these text messages from people just checking in or, you know, sending me a, a stupid meme or something. But it's showing me that someone's actually thinking about me. And um, it takes away that isolation and some of that loneliness that you get when you travel. Um, alone. So um, it was a challenge for me at first to accept that coffee invitation or to go out to dinner with people or to be willing to, um, you know, give up my weekend plans of sitting at home and watching Netflix all weekend uh, to go out and be with fellows. But um, it's, it's, again, it's what's changed my life. It's what's shown me that you can have fun in sobriety, that you can do fun things in sobriety, and that it doesn't always just have to be you know, depressing church basements where we're talking about what it was like. <laughs> but we can actually, like, enjoy what it's like now. So, um, yeah, those would be my four things. I'm sure there's, you know, like 50 others that I could easily talk about. But um, as I was kind of reflecting and thinking about what I was going to talk about today, those were kind of the four themes that kept coming to mind. So I hope any of that made sense. <laughs> um, but, uh, again, I just... Um, I kind of started by saying, you know, what a difference a year makes. And if there's anyone out there right now that's struggling, you know, you're feeling hopeless, whether you're new in sobriety or you're not, just know that you have a lot of resources. You have fellowship. You have meetings to go to. You have service opportunities. You have your sponsor, hopefully, if not... Um, like I said, I'm open for sponsor. We could talk, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. I mean, there's all these great things, and you know, time can pass, and things can get better. And I know it certainly did for me. And so, thank you. Thank you. Um, so cruising right along, um, our last speaker for today is um, Alex P. Come on up. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex, alcoholic. So... Um, I was thinking that um, a men's meeting, right? So I was thinking, what is a men's meeting? And um, when I was, um, oh, I don't know, two, three years sober, maybe, um, I was living um, and working outside of Oceanside, California, where Camp Pendleton is. And I was sponsoring this young man who um, was um, 
not as butch as I am, and I'm not butch by any stretch of the imagination. He liked to wear leotards uh, a lot to meetings. And um, he wanted to go to a men's meeting. And uh, he did not mean a gay men's meeting, he meant a men's meeting. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll take you to a men's meeting. And so we, we got out of my car and we were walking towards this meeting and there was all these men uh, standing outside but this big oak tree, this is in Escondido, California. And um, this one guy turns around, takes a puff of a cigarette and says to my sponsee, honey, this is a men's meeting. And my sponsee didn't miss a beat. And he said, I'll show you my dick if you show me yours. And uh, the, the guy's like, well, I've been put in my place. Welcome, my name's Joe, you know. And what, what happened there was that that young man taught me something, you know, because um, I was full of internalized homophobia at that time. And here I was, more scared than this kid who was wearing skin-tight red leotards <laughs> to this men's meeting. And so, you know, that's, that's just something that popped into my head. And these are the lessons that I've learned in sobriety. My sobriety date is June 23rd, 1985. And uh, I'm one of the lucky ones because I turned 21 in sobriety. So to qualify, <clears throat> you know, what makes me an alcoholic? My first blackout, <clears throat> I was 12, maybe 13. And I drank uh, about this much orange juice and this much vodka. And um, two things happened that I'll never forget. Um, the alcohol went down my throat and it was really warm. And then it, it blossomed in my stomach. And I, and I had this feeling of, oh, that's what I've been missing. What 12-year-old is missing that? But that's what I was missing at 12. And uh, this, the other, well, we'll say three, two things that happened. So then I blacked out. And um, when I came to, my uh, best friend, whose house party we were at, his cousin, who was hot, by the way, his cousin was slapping me. And, and then I came to, and I, I was being slapped. And I looked over at my friend, and I started laughing. And I said, it doesn't hurt. And so I took two things away from that experience. One. I loved that feeling of alcohol going into my system. Not so much the blackout, but I loved not feeling. And so this 12-year-old was able to find alcohol from that point forward. And any time I drank, I drank to get drunk. I didn't drink socially. Um, you know, they don't sell social drinks to a 13-year-old. I drank to get drunk, you know. And that was my goal, and I did it well. And it's kind of scary to think about how well I did that. I, you know, I was able to get drunk quite often um, at a young age. I um, have this memory. I was in high school, and my drama teacher took me to dinner to celebrate uh, some play award that I had won. And she, you know, she's like, oh, you're not of age, but I'm going to order you a glass of wine with dinner. And... Um, I had never had a glass of wine with dinner, and I took a sip of this wine, and I was obsessed right after that taste of, oh, we're only having one glass, and I still haven't gotten my dinner, and this woman is still talking to me, and I really don't care what she's saying, and we've only had one sip, and she's only ordered one glass, and I mean, that was, oh my, what is going on here? That, I ruined that dinner because all I could think about was we only had one glass of wine. 
um, and that was in high school. I drank like that, you know, alcoholically from the get-go. I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school because I, I was never told that I could go to college. I was never told that there was money for college. So my brother had joined, my sister had joined, I joined the Marine Corps, I took off. When I was there, thank you. <laughs> when I was there um, after boot camp um, and in school and, and um, training school and all the places I've been, um, the motto seemed to be that you know we play hard so we drink hard. So um, I, I drank hard. Um, I was told by some very caring Marines that um, I got a little touchy feeling and a little too affectionate when I blacked out. Uh, they didn't use the word blackout. They said, you know, when you drink a lot, Alex, um, you tend to get very friendly. You might want to watch that. This was before doing the Ask, Don't Tell. This is when they actually kicked you out of the Marine Corps for being gay. I didn't know what gay was, but I know that I liked men. And um, when I was blacked out, I, could, I made that quite obvious. <laughs> but I never got caught. I never got kicked out. I never got killed or beat up or killed. That was stupid. But I never got beat up. Um, <laughs> I, I was actually well taken care of. This little Nelly Marine uh, made it, and um, I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, and it, um, it was in 1985, and um, we threw a throwing away party for um, my roommate at the time, uh, Christopher C. Brown. He's not in recovery. I can say his name. Christopher C. Brown and I had a love-hate relationship. I loved him. He hated me. Um, <laughs> We drank a lot, and he would beat me up. I knew he loved me. Uh, I have a gash on my forehead, thanks to him. Uh, him well, he the sidewalk helped. Um, so um, we were throwing him a going-away party, and um, I am told that I bought a lot of booze that weekend. I am told that I bought a lot of food. I am told that I drove. Uh, people around Okinawa, Japan. Okinawa is not very big, so it's not like I was going from San Diego to Los Angeles. But I did all of this in a blackout. Um, I came to in my, my bed, and I, I knew I was in trouble. So I threw on my uniform, and I ran across the, uh, to the flight deck. I, I loaded aircraft in the Marine Corps. And the gunnery sergeant that was in charge was waiting for me. I had been missing for 12 hours. And in the Marine Corps, you're not allowed to be missing. They, they call that unauthorized absence. And so um, he asked me what happened. I told him that I wasn't really quite sure. Um, but then he started asking me some questions that made me very uncomfortable. How often do you drink? What happens when you drink? What do you consider a couple of drinks? I said, a case or two. Um, you know, but I was like, what, where is, what is going on here? What's up with this guy? Well, what I didn't know then that I know now is he was 13 years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was sitting there, you know, 12-stepping, 13-12-stepping this newcomer. And I was like, what's going on, you know? And so he said, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give you a choice. Um, you can go to two AA meetings and tell me what you think. Report back to me or I might bust you down in rank and throw you in jail. And I said, can I think about it? And he laughed and he said, yeah, sure, think about it. So I left his office and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do, AA sounds so scary. But then again, if I get busted down in rank, it's a smaller paycheck and jail doesn't sound good. So I said, okay, I'll go to this AA thing. And he said, you've made a good choice. And I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous on the island of Okinawa, Japan, and um, I was um, 20 going on 21. And I walked into a room full of uh, men and women, and I started listening, and I heard what an alcoholic is, and I started learning what an alcoholic isn't. 
And uh, that began my, my road to recovery, and that was June 23rd, 19th, well, sometime in June, and then I picked a sobriety date. Well, um, skipping forward, because it's not like I have, um, uh, the other thing I was thinking about is, um, I was uh, about four, I was four years sober, this was 1989, I was living in San Diego, and I was telling my sponsor that I had seen this flyer for an AA conference in San Francisco, um, and that I really wanted to go, but I was really scared. And he's like, well, walk through the fear, just register, and then start asking people in San Diego to go with you so you won't go alone. And so um, this was before the iPhone. You know, I filled out the application, and I mailed in my check. And um, in that uh, registration form, there was this little section that said, do you need housing? And people in the community would offer their sofas for those of us coming in from outside of San Francisco, and they would put you up for the weekend. And I said, yes, please. And um, this guy named Herb gave me a call, and he said, hey, I'm your sponsor. And I said, my what? And he's like, your house sponsor. You're going to sleep on my sofa. And I said, oh, well, I'm bringing my friend Daryl. And he's like, well, I have two sofas. And I was like, oh, people in San Francisco have money. Two sofas. Um, not one, two. So I drove from San Diego here in 1989, and I went to my first AA conference, my first Living Sober conference, um, at the Bill Graham Auditorium. And I think there were like 4,000 people there. And I was four years sober, and it was just like, holy cow. Um, I fell in love with this conference, and then I also fell in, in love with San Francisco. And um, I knew I was going to come back. Um, a lot of stuff happened. In 1992, I quit my job. I jumped in my car. No, I left my car in San Diego. I quit my job, and I talked some friends into uh, coming with me in, my, in a little U-Haul, and I moved to San Francisco. And my roommate was, was Herb, my friend Herb, who had hosted me in uh, 1989. And we became roommates. And um, I had no job. I had some savings. Uh, I was trying to get rid of my car in San Diego, and I, I was here, it was October of 1992, and it rained every frickin' day in October of 1992. And I was sitting on a bus, and I was soaking wet, and I had gone to two job interviews, and I burst into tears. And I was like, what have I done? I left my condo, I was renting, I didn't have it, I didn't have money. I left my condo in San Diego, I'm sitting on a bus, I'm soaking wet, and I have no job. What am I going to do? This is horrible. I got home. I talked to my roommate. I got a phone call. I was given a job offer <laughs> that same day. And I started working. And then I started going to a lot of meetings here in San Francisco. And there were people in the rooms that just saved my ass. You know, I would go to rooms and I'd be like, ah, I'm a crazy shit. And I'm nine years sober, and, you know, or seven years sober. And they'd be like, keep coming back. And hey, do you have a sponsee? Oh, well, I should probably do that. And, you know. Um, I was 10 years sober um, here in San Francisco, and um, that's when I decided to memorize the third step prayer. So sometimes slowly, third step prayer. I was, you know, on my way to work, and this guy was sitting next to me and drinking tequila at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I need a better, I need to go to different meetings because that's smelling really good at nine o'clock in the morning on my way to work at 10 years sober. Um, and so that's what I did. I went to different meetings in San Francisco, and I started sponsoring people. And I, you know, when, when, when I clean up my act, when I'm actually going to meetings and I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of myself and I'm being of service, 
I become a little more uh, attractive to people who want to ask me to sponsor them versus going to a meeting and rolling my eyes because it's her sharing again and oh, I've heard it before. And well, in my opinion, you know, I, no one wants to, me to be their sponsor when I'm walking into the rooms thinking and being that person. That's just not, you know, I'm not open to that idea. And so I learned that and um, a lot has happened um, since then. So let me jump forward. I've been, um, I don't remember how, old, how long I was sober, but um, my um, dad had been diagnosed with cancer. I was living here in San Francisco and um, I was working for a dot-com and I got a call at my desk or maybe a cell phone, I don't quite remember. And it was the nurse at the hospice and she said, I can't find your mother and your brother hasn't answered, but I need to let you know that your dad is actively dying. And um, I was like, well, my brain started racing. What do I do? What do I do? And I, you know, the program, program kicked in and I said, do the next indicated steps. So I said, thank you for letting me know. I'll be right there. I was sitting here in San Francisco. He was in El Paso, Texas. And I went to my boss and I said, I got to go. My dad's dying. He said, go. And you know why he said that? Because I was worker among workers. You know, he knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't a bad employee. I wasn't late for work. I wasn't stealing from my job. So he said, go. And I left. And I um, called a friend and I said, I got to get to the airport. My dad's dying. He said, I'll pick you up and I'll take you to the airport. And um, I landed and my family saw me walk into the hospital or the hospice and they were like, you made it. And that was um, midnight and my dad died at one. It was a gift of sobriety. I, sorry about that. I didn't know that was going to happen. So, I mean, I learned so much. And the reason I tell that story when I share is because it wasn't, a, it wasn't as horrible as, I mean, it was horrible. <laughs> but it was like this amazing, living, sober experience that I could jump on a plane and be there the night my dad died. Um, and that my family knew that I was supposed to be there. And my brother was sober at the time. And uh, there were so many sober people at the funeral, and we were just all taken care of, you know? And um, I was, it, I am eternally grateful for that. Um, that was um, 2001. And um, in 2002, um, my mom sounded depressed, and um, I was working for another dot-com, and I said, you know what, mom? What about me quitting my job here in San Francisco and going to live with you and going back to college? And she said, I don't want you to take care of me, but you can always come home, mijo. Uh, that's what moms do, right? So, um, so that's what I did. I quit my job. I left my rent control department. <laughs> and I went back to El Paso, Texas, and I was a 37-year-old gay man living with his mother. And I went back to school, and I got my degree in psychology, liberal arts psychology, with a minor in business. And I finally did something I've always wanted to do. And, um, and then I came back in 2008. Um, and 
um, there were no jobs here in 2008, <laughs> but I came back anyway. And um, the, the heart-wrenching part of that, although it was amazing, was that my mother passed away while I was back in El Paso. Uh, she died in her sleep, and I was living with her. And yet again, I was taken care of with people like Bobby and uh, my brother. And I, it was just all these sober people just surrounding us yet again, you know. And I was able to walk through that. Um, and that was difficult. I, um, I came back. I struggled for a little while. Um, friends put me up in their, in their houses, in their, and I slept on sofas. And then I started working again. I got a job, a temp job. And that temp job turned into a real job. And, you know, and so... Um, I've been back since 2008, and um, most of my really close friends are in recovery um, because I've been sober for 33 years. I've, I've made some friendships in this program that have lasted for a really long time. Um, and then the, the few friends that aren't have known me as a sober person. They've never met me when I was drinking. And um, I... I'm just like everyone else. I mean, I have attitude, right? I come in here and I love doing service for living sober, but sometimes you, you girls are demanding. Um, and, and sometimes like, you know, it gets to us and so I have my opinions. <laughs> but um, what I'm doing today is that I, I, I do a 10 step uh, via email with my sponsees. Uh, we email each other our 10 steps. We hold ourselves accountable. Um, I um, try my best to be of service, um, and, and um, I was just reading this um, thing by a Buddhist, Thich Nhat Hanh, that um, I don't have to put value on my friends. I can just sit there and listen. In other words, you don't owe me anything just because you're my friend. I can just sit there and be with you, and that's even more caring than, you know, what can I get from you? And um, Time and time again, no matter where I go, um, if I walk into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, I know that I'm going to hear the message, as I think Scott was saying. Um, even in Nashville, Tennessee, where I immediately stereotyped everyone who was in that room, I heard the message. I heard the, the message of recovery and the language of the heart. And um, I really appreciate living sober. Um, I stepped away for a little while, but I love coming back to this conference. and. I love being of service, and I thank you all. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. That about wraps it up. Um, we'll um, have a brief moment of silence, and then let's close with the wee version of the serenity prayer. God.